fidelity, fortitude, self-sacrifice, just a few of the noble virtues that define what it means to be a man. But from the moment a man turns on the TV or heads out the front door, he is bombarded with values that are anything but noble and good. Join our guest, Franciscan University's Director of Evangelization, Father Dominic Foster, TOR, as we talk about what it takes to become a real man of Christian virtue. I'm Father Michael Scanlon, Chancellor of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Talking about men of Christian virtue, we have our regular panelists here, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology, and Dr. Scott Hahn, Professor of Biblical Theology. And our special guest, Father Dominic Foster, graduated from the university in 1996, and since 2005 has been a priest of a Franciscan order, the Third Order Regular. He's led young adult groups, ministered to African-American parishes, and served as a campus minister at a public and Catholic university. Currently, Father Dominic is Franciscan University's Director of Evangelization, which includes developing men's and women's ministries. And I've got a little hoarse voice, but that'll be fine. We'll have a fourth person, a horse, <laughs> with us today. So, <clears throat> Dominic, in my day, Manly virtues were looked upon as heroes, be staunch, John Wayne, get out there. Uh, but today, it kind of gets scorned and frowned on. What's going on here? I think there's a lot of reasons for that, Father Mike, and I think um, partly economic and partly ideological. I think um, the feminist movement has done a lot um, in terms of questioning the necessity of fatherhood um, mm. and in terms of making um, male strength and male power almost suspect. Um, the idea is that women have been victimized by men, and so anything that smacks of male strength is, is a way of asserting superiority and dominance. Uh -huh. And therefore, traditionally, male virtues, I think, have become suspect. And I think also, um, in terms of um, the economic end of things, what we see is that in, in olden times, um, male strength was necessary in, in, in terms of like a farming agricultural type of community but in the industrial age and now in the information age there's a sense in which um, the necessity of the male as the economic provider um, is not a given anymore. Well that's a, that's a good comprehensive answer that we'll have to get into uh, much more deeply but what male traits <coughs> are considered normal today and yet contrary to Catholic? sensibilities through the ages. Mm -hmm. I think um, when you look at the way that a lot of young men are raised today, um, there is an extreme tendency toward passivity. In the old days, um, a young boy grew up handing his father tools and learning how to do things that required a certain amount of skill. Um, when I was a boy growing up in Maine, 
um, one of the old timers I knew told me that when he was 10 and 11 years old, he and his friends would go out into the woods in the middle of winter and cut down trees and build cabins yeah. for fun. Um, that isn't really the case anymore. A lot of the, the boys today are raised essentially with video games behind computer screens. I, I think what, what happens oh. then is a polarization occurs. It's sort of like you, you move from the center where you have manly virtues that come mostly from your father. Mm -hmm. And then as you begin to see the culture shifting to this fatherless situation, exactly. where either the father has left the family or is just simply absent because of work or what have you. You know, I, I had you as a student back in the early 90s. We were talking about this before the show. We had this book we were reading by David Blankenhorn, Fatherless America. Around the same time, we had a professor here, Umberto Belli from Nicaragua, yeah. who was uh, escaping the Sandinista regime, and he was teaching sociology. When I, when I came here, he was leaving, but I heard his lecture. And he had studied the, the, the young men in Nicaragua who had grown up without fathers, and he was describing, I forget exactly the term that he used in, in Spanish, but it was this machissimo tendency. So you're extremely passive on the one hand, right. and almost effeminate, mm -hmm. and then suddenly you become aggressive right. and lustful and violent, and you identify that as manliness. And mm -hmm. what he was showing was that as a result of this fatherless upbringing, mm -hmm. you would either be like a mama's boy and very passive and quiescent, or you'd be overly aggressive, hyper-aggressive, but he said, you're very hard-pressed to find the mean for mm -hmm. men in my culture. Yeah, know? which is exactly the meaning of virtue. You mm -hmm. strike that yeah. mean between the two extremes. Mm -hmm. I mean, virtue is supposed to be reasonable, right. balanced, mm -hmm. judicious. I mean, that's the Aristotelian sure. ideal. I, I was struck by the, uh, the illustration you, you gave of mm -hmm. feminism uh, and the impact it has had. It's mm -hmm. been altogether, uh, uh, I, I think, inimical mm -hmm. because uh, they have managed to strip virtue of its attraction, mm -hmm. I mean, particularly for men. They've driven a wedge between mm -hmm. valor and right. sensitivity as if you've got to choose. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be John Wayne or I'm going to be Alan Alda. I mean, why can't you somehow right. integrate mm -hmm. the two? That's and amazing. John Wayne and Alden Walter. I'm still <laughs> yeah. wrestling with that Reeling. And I think but what, what about this fatherlessness, you know? Uh, that's in our culture now, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just... Yeah. Oh, it, it, it certainly is. I mean, you, you have a situation now where adolescent males mm -hmm. have got to balance this mm -hmm. virtue, you know, because on the one hand, they seek pleasure. On the other hand, they want power. And in sex in particular is the area of vulnerability because that's where you have intensive pleasure and at the same time, this sense of power. And so pornography has fueled this, especially in the absence of fathers. But yeah. what's so interesting about this, you know, in, in conjunction with feminism, you know, recent studies have shown that 30 years ago, pornography was viewed by men 99.5%. Right. Now it's 30 to 35% women viewing pornography and they are now in pursuit of this pleasure and power. So yeah. that women now are using sex in a predatory way, which right. I think in some ways emasculates men even more. So this, you're talking about those who actually view pornography. View pornography, 30 not to 35 percent of women. Not that 99 percent did it, but rather that right. taking the group that views it 
Yes. Yes. I mean, it used to be exclusively thing. male, and no. that you know that that completely distorted the male view of what sex is. Sure. It yeah. strips it of intimacy and responsibility and commitment. But what's so scary is that feminism has yeah. has this trajectory, whereby sex has now become a tool for power as well as pleasure, right. Right. and so it's becoming a predatory principle. And yeah. so the the war of the sexes in some ways exaggerates this tendency. Yeah. And if in the lack of a father feeds into this. Yeah, right? you have no compass, and yet you have to right, keep walking. Right, you yeah. know. Well, this, this is really coming? disturbing. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we know what naked men look like. They're, they're not very attractive. Mm -hmm. And to think that women would find this enticing, that's mm -hmm. pretty unsettling stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's about power. It's mm -hmm. about emasculating wow. men. And in terms of the, the contribution of feminism, I think what it's done is it has rendered um, essentially male power as being suspect. Yeah. In other words, that, that male strength is the enemy. Right. And I think what, what we would say from a Catholic position is that strength and power are proper to right. the male, right. but in terms of virtue-based education, yeah. is that it's a matter of channeling that power in a godly way. Right. It's taking that power and that phallus and subjecting it to right reason. It, it's the distinction between power and mm -hmm. authority. Right. I mean, men can lord it over women. I think uh, Eve mm -hmm. uh, felt that way yeah. uh, after they were, you know, after mm -hmm. they were expelled mm -hmm. from the garden. But authority is something mm -hmm. lawful and good That's and right. indispensable to the maintenance of order. From, and it comes from sacrifice mm -hmm. and commitment. I mean. You you don't just simply impose authority. Right. You have to kind of exemplify the virtues that inspire yeah. trust and obedience and in order to exercise authority. what you're saying, Scott, um, really, in my mind, um, there is a prejudice that, that Christianity and that Catholicism in particular is for women. And we've right. seen this all throughout history. Yeah. And, and, and very often what we see is, is sort of the, the holy card image of holiness, that sort of airbrushed, very effeminate looking saint. And I think one thing that's critical for the body of Christ to recover is the idea that Jesus is a masculine figure. Right. And I think when you see the way that Jesus laid it all down on the cross for us, it was a sacrificial right. ethos. Well, the, the exquisite example of that caricature you describe is St. Aloysius mm -hmm. Gonzaga. And I remember being very struck by something Father Benedict Grishel said that when people look at him and they see the lily and yes, the yes, wan yes. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of wimpy look, that's not Aloysius, that's the artist. That's the he artist. had a problem. Right. Aloysius was incredibly mm -hmm. strong that's and right. manly. I mean, he perished right. in that plague. Mm -hmm. uh, he was an extraordinary man. Certainly his confessor right. thought so, Robert Bellarmine, uh, who said he never committed a mortal sin. Right. I mean, to resist sin, mm -hmm. you've got to be manly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what virtue mm -hmm. bespeaks, yes. strength, ability. And it goes back to Thomas Aquinas 101, grace builds on nature. Yeah. So if we surrender to the life of grace, we don't become less masculine, we become right. more masculine. Right. Yeah. Part of the problem is also rooted in the men, mm -hmm. you know, not just the women and the feminists. You know, I remember back in those days when we were reading those books for that class, uh, uh, you, you had a book, a study on the feminization of American religion, yes, but yeah. at the same time, 
you had David Blankenhorn and Weldon Hardenbrook pointing out that our heroes, Daniel Boone, mm -hmm. Davy Crockett, weren't family men. They were rugged individuals yes. who would leave their wives mm -hmm. and kids mm -hmm. for years at a time yeah. and come back and find out that she had sired offspring through her, mm -hmm. his brother, you know, and they went through two divorces and all that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. back in the day when family life was generally more stable, the masculine heroes were rugged individualists who really didn't live out their marital yeah, He rides off um, into the sunset alone. Yeah. He sits high in the saddle, but he's completely detached mm -hmm. from any connection mm -hmm. uh, to family. So this is the difference between being just rugged, right. uh, masculine, mm -hmm. and Christian manly virtues, right. Right. which have responsibilities. Yeah. See, I think if we look at it in this light and we trace it back way before the 60s, we can see that what women are clamoring for is basically what men took first, and that is individualism, mm -hmm. a kind of you know, redefinition of freedom in terms of self-assertion mm -hmm. and independence from commitment. And I think a lot of it goes down to what is it that gets ratings in the media? I mean, um, man gets up, goes to work every day, and is faithful to his wife. It's not something that's entertaining. Right. And, and I think it, we live in such a culture of celebrity yeah. that the models are not virtuous because they don't generate copy, they don't generate ratings. And I think there's an enormous responsibility on the part of the church to form young men and to say this may not be exciting in the way that the world understands excitement, and yet it is important, it is good, it is beautiful. Um, and, and, and to move beyond the culture of celebrity, it, it's, it's not it, entertaining, but it's good. Right. It's, it's difficult to compete with some of those images on television. Mm -hmm. You think of the football players. Mm -hmm. These are titanic uh, yes. figures. Mm -hmm. And that suggests virtue is somehow like that, mm -hmm. when in fact it isn't. I mean, to be brave, uh, you, you, you don't necessarily have to be right. 350 pounds. And so we have to distinguish <coughs> the Boy Scout image or the... Uh, infantryman image mm -hmm. from what in fact we mean by the Christian or Catholic manly virtues. Yeah, I mean, the, look at the word virtue. It comes from the Latin word vir, which means mm -hmm. man, yes. you know, and what virtues really mean, it requires us to do the good, mm -hmm. facing morally difficult situations, yeah. and to do it again and again until they become habituated, until they really inhabit us. And once those habits take place, once those virtues grow, then virtues become the equivalent of moral muscles. Mm -hmm. You don't want muscle-bound people who just have it all on their biceps. <laughs> you want a sort of proportion mm -hmm. so that you're, there's, there's a sense of prudence, temperance, fortitude, justice, honesty, frugality. I mean, the virtues really are kind of symphony mm -hmm. of character where you're wow, coordinating you're really all of these sorts of things. putting it all together there. Yeah. Well, I'm and just echoing Aquinas. I mean, that's really <laughs> what St. Thomas symphony, was doing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, virtue is meant virtue. to become habitual, a habitus, mm -hmm. a, a pattern. It's mm -hmm. stable, sort of like a groove, mm -hmm. a, a certain rhythm, a certain ease mm -hmm. even. A guy who plays tennis well, he hardly thinks about mm -hmm. where he's going to put that ball. Yeah. And it's important, I think, to understand that in terms of um, it gets back to the issue of formation. In terms of forming good, godly men, you cannot do this apart from the means of grace, yeah. from prayer, from the sacraments, from so many of the riches that our tradition has to offer. Yeah. And so it's not simply a matter of saying X is a virtue, right. but we have to work in a constant ongoing way yeah. with Catholic children and Catholic young right. adults to get them plugged into the means of grace and living that in a yeah, habitual yeah, the way. The merely human exercise mm -hmm. of virtue mm -hmm. will leave us inhuman. We need oh. grace so to be good. So when we come back, we're going to...
be specifically Catholic. How do you develop, how do you understand these manly virtues within the teaching and life of the Catholic Church? Stay with us. Uh, the idea of manhood that's typically transmitted to, to millions of people um, occurs, uh, for instance, when we watch sport, sporting events. Um, I can just recount the times that I'm here on campus watching a football game with my younger brother and on the screen pops a the typical husband who is lazy, uh, insensitive, and uncaring about uh, what's going on in his family, what's going on around the world. Uh, but then I contrast that with the true example of manhood in, in Jesus Christ, who the scriptures tell us uh, cared immeasurably for the sick, um, worked hard as a carpenter, took his profession seriously, and, uh, and gave his life for the salvation of millions of people. Hardly the qualities that, uh, that the world presents to us uh, in commercials when we're watching sports. So I find in, in my own experience that looking to scriptures uh, and looking at the example of Christ Jesus uh, presents us with the true portrait of, of manhood that, that all, all of us can aspire to. I came here to Franciscan not only to grow in my academics, but also to grow in my faith and to become really what God wanted me to become. I walk into Mass sometimes and I'm flabbergasted about the crowds that attend even daily Masses. It's just so refreshing to see so many young people on fire with God and excited to be at Mass, excited to celebrate the Eucharist. Franciscan University of Steubenville is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Talking about manly Christian virtues, we have as our special guest, Father Dominic Foster, Director of Evangelization here at the university, a member of the Franciscan Third Order Regular, and a former student here. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> when we took our break, we were moving into what does the church do in this area? What does it teach? Um, and, but let's start with the Bible. Mm -hmm. How are manly Christian virtues represented for us mm -hmm. in the Bible? I think in the Bible, um, I, the figure of Abraham um, is one which is really is um, compelling to me because what you see with Abraham is is um, a really important balance because on the one hand there's a certain receptivity there he's obedient, um, but obedience is not merely we think of obedience as sort of a passive or weak virtue, and yet Abraham hears the word of the Lord, but when he hears the word of the Lord he goes, yeah. and he becomes he becomes the father of the Hebrew people in, in the sense um, um, that which salvation history, he's, he's that linchpin. And, and when Abraham goes, he's a builder. You know, he's not someone who just kind of sits around and tending sheep. He literally is a builder of civilization. And so you see that beautiful combination of that receptivity and that obedience. And yet when Abraham hears the word of the Lord, he goes. And you see that masculine strength, that masculine power. Um, that drive to build and to do something constructive, very evident in the life of Abraham and other scriptural figures. Yeah, I want to reinforce that, especially with Abraham, because you see Abraham as a provider mm -hmm. in Genesis 12 during the time of famine, he goes down. You also see Abraham as the warrior mm -hmm. in Genesis 14, where he goes and rescues his own nephew Lot, who's been taken a POW. Right. You know, you, you see him also as a man of prayer who builds altars, who offers sacrifices. You know, and you can see the tendencies in our own culture, the warrior, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can see the provider, you can see the spiritual figure. But mm -hmm. what really ties it together is the fact that he is 
Avram, mm -hmm. which in, in Hebrew means exalted father. Yes. You know, the, the father is the one who protects, who provides, who prays, who leads, mm -hmm. and who has to be responsive, as you say, in trusting God and obeying God yeah. first and foremost. Then suddenly you can become mm -hmm. an icon of God's fatherhood, right. which is exactly what he was called to do, to be the father of all the faithful down through the generations, you know. And, and I, I think when you trace the trajectory of manhood mm -hmm. to fatherhood, you really find the only proper way to balance the, the virtues right. and at the same time to kind of take all of these exaggerated extremes, the caricatures, and bring them back into focus. Right. So That's that right. is key. When we talk about Abraham, we have to be talking about fatherhood mm -hmm. and yeah. then the various right. virtues yeah. and outreaches. Yeah. I, I, I liked uh, how you combined uh, the virtue. Of, uh, of Abraham. On the one hand, he listens, mm -hmm. uh, he hears mm -hmm. the voice of God. He knows what God is asking him to do. Mm -hmm. That's important, right. to hearken in silence mm -hmm. to what is real. Mm -hmm. uh, but then he does it. Mm -hmm. He puts it into practice. Right. He executes God's will. And that's where courage mm -hmm. steps in. Yes. I mean, Aquinas teaches that the form of every virtue, mm -hmm. especially at the supreme testing moment, is courage, courage, fortitude. Mm -hmm. it, it takes guts to do what's good. And it's interesting, right. in terms of some of the scriptural imagery, you can almost see the, the opposite of that in Adam. Um, and, and, and very often you'll hear, you know, in talks people will say, well, what did Adam do? Yeah. Nothing. That was the problem. Right. And when he He's was silent, first, when he needed silent. to speak, yeah. That's right. And, and instead of, um, it, there was no courage, there was a shrinking out of fear. And this is another thing that I see so often in the men today is, is a certain level of fear. I mean, I heard a story about um, a guy recently who was, um, and I won't get into the details, but he was with his girlfriend and said to her, you know what, you're the one. You're the, you're the one that I want to marry, you know. And two weeks later broke up with her. And what you see is that shrinking back yeah, in fear, that, that lack of courage that, that, that is so... Um, inherent to a strong male personality. And, and not that there's nothing to fear in making that kind right. of commitment. You know, <laughs> when John Paul said, be not afraid, quoting yeah. our Lord, you know, it wasn't like there's nothing to be afraid of. He didn't yeah. say that. Yeah. There are a lot of reasons to be afraid, but yeah. there's an even greater reason not to because yeah. the Lord is with you. And I think How is this covenant theology, you know, uh -huh. talking about that it's really built in, mm -hmm. God is our Father? That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Covenant theology, if I can just step in for yeah. a second, because... You know, you know a thing or two about this, Scott, don't you? Uh, yeah. I've been studying it for a few days. <laughs> All right, good, good, good. 35 years and, and going. Mm -hmm. But, you know, getting back to Abraham... He's the, he's the one with whom God makes this covenant mm -hmm. that is going to stretch out to include all nations. Mm -hmm. And his name means exalted father. And yet, what a strange paradox that he goes a whole century mm -hmm. without ever becoming a father. Mm -hmm. you know, and so what is God up to? Well, it's paradoxical. Mm -hmm. And yet it's also revealing because there's fatherhood according to the flesh, mm -hmm. as John Paul puts it. Then there's fatherhood according to the spirit. Mm -hmm. And the covenant shows us that fatherhood is more than biological. Mm -hmm. It's really ultimately theological. theological. You know, we think we know what fatherhood means. You've got to have a body. You've got to have gender, male. You've got to have organ. You've got to have sex. You've got to have marriage. Right. That's fatherhood, except God doesn't have a body. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have gender. He doesn't have organs or yeah. sex or marriages. And yet that doesn't make him less of a father. He's infinitely more. Yeah. And so God has to use a man like Abraham's mm -hmm. faith and obedience to reveal to the world 
Fatherhood is not what you think it is. Fatherhood according to the flesh is one thing, Mm -hmm. but the covenant reveals fatherhood according to the Spirit. Spirit. And not only Abraham, but St. Joseph Mm -hmm. gives that trust and obedience. Let's bring out the saints and how they teach us fatherhood. I mean, St. Joseph is not just a foster father or a legal father. He's a virgin father like Mary's a virgin mother. And so he becomes an archetype, an icon of the priest as well who for Aquinas wasn't less of a father than me or Regis, but more. Scott, when you were talking about fatherhood according to the spirit, my heart inside of me was just jumping. (laughs) The the school newspaper asked me when I first came here, what is it that you most like being about a priest? What is it you most like about the priesthood? And and I knew immediately what the answer was. The answer was being a spiritual father. You know, and, and, and there's such a deep-rooted prejudice that celibacy is somehow the antithesis of fatherhood. Right, yeah. And in terms of fatherhood within the Catholic tradition, um, you know, the spiritual fatherhood of the priest is, is one way in which I think the church has a lot to teach the world about fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And, and that fatherhood according to the Spirit, and, we, you know, it's not that we call God Father because He acts like human fathers or men. Men are fathers because they image the fatherhood of God. And that is something proper to the male, whether celibate or married or single. That's really interesting that being a father Mm -hmm. is sort of the signature statement of your Mm -hmm. being a priest. It's the cachet. I I was uh, uh, struck uh, listening or watching an Oprah program Mm -hmm. in which uh, she was showcasing a community of of religious Mm -hmm. nuns who authentically lived the charism. Mm -hmm. And the thing that most uh, astonished her was their telling her repeatedly, we wear this this habit because Mm -hmm. it is our wedding dress Mm -hmm. and it signifies our marriage Mm -hmm. to Jesus. We are brides of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's who they are, brides, Mm -hmm. and you are a father. Mm -hmm. That's who you Mm -hmm. are. It reaches right down to the bottom of your being. I expect that is a source of great uh, consolation. And I can honestly say that if I had really felt in my heart that the priesthood was a negation of fatherhood, I wouldn't have done it. But that, that's not, but again, the idea that grace builds on nature, this is not God's way right. to call a man to be a priest and then negate his fatherhood. And we've lost, I think, a mm-hmm. good deal of that mystery, that mystique, when mm-hmm. we describe the priest as the facilitator right. of, of community, and, and the region, presider. In the same way, what that reminds me is there's been so much post-conciliar teaching about the family as the domestic church. Yeah. And if a priest can be a spiritual father, in a very real way within the domestic church, within the home, the father is the priest of his family. Well, you know, this goes back to a famous sermon that Augustine preached when he was addressing the men in his congregation. He said to them, my fellow bishops. Mm, yes. Why? Right. Because you're overseers. And he went on to explain, right. you know, I felt like a priest when I was a father. Now that I'm a grandfather of four, I feel like a yeah. bishop. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to see your sons become fathers. That's you right, know? that's right. And yeah. John Paul too, didn't he? Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Just oh, image this so well. Yeah. Amen. Father, then Amen. grandfather, then great-grandfather, right. whatever. The yeah. patriarchal yeah. principle of all. sacrificial service where it's not lording it over your yeah. subjects. That's and there, right. you know, the, the pastor, you know, the priest is a pastor, he's a shepherd, mm-hmm. but that's a metaphor that only goes so far because his congregation really aren't sheep, even if sometimes you feel like that's they right, are, you right, know. Yeah. Uh, they're persons, they're mm-hmm. sons and daughters, they're brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. The family image is so important, but again, the covenant is what takes that family image back to the theological mystery of fatherhood right. and what sonship. You're, what you're saying reminds me that in one of the essential functions of fatherhood 
is to bestow upon the child his or her identity. Yeah. And, and when we think about John Paul II, why was he so effective in what he did is because for so many decades as priest and bishop, he taught people in communist Poland that you are not an object. Right, right. You are not a cog not in a, a cog wheel. In that machine. And he taught them their humanity. Right. And right. this is one of the reasons, I think, that, that communism was toppled in Poland without a shot being fired. He awakened the Polish he people awakened to it their destiny. Yes. See, that's what fathers do. I mean, you've got to teach your adolescent you're not a bundle of hormones. That's right. You know, you're not just a consumer. Mm -hmm. You're not just an employee. Mm -hmm. You are a man, and you've got to find yourself in these relationships. And, and you're not just a couch potato, that's you know, right. watching that's right. other unmanly men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, John Paul II is, is a wonderful example because he was incredible. Incredibly manly, he was, but he was. without sacrificing a single jot That's of right. sensitivity. And they right. even even the fact that he climbed the mountains mm -hmm. and did the skiing and mm -hmm. took all these kind of aggressive mm -hmm. uh, recreational sports added to it that hey, he's not a wimp yeah. just because he's That's very right. sensitive and. That's well, he right. not only survived the, the Nazi occupation, yeah. the Soviet occupation, he somehow surmounted yeah. these occupations. He discovered his vocation mm -hmm. in the midst of this, this hellish right. occupation. I think in some ways it's easier for men to survive those circumstances mm -hmm. than, the, than the present set of circumstances mm -hmm. where things are so socially and psychologically yeah. chaotic. I think of a TV show, you know, uh, I've only seen it like twice, Two and a Half Men. Where the youngest, where the, where the adolescent is sort of lording it over, he, you know, yeah. he's the one who comes up with the wisdom and the put downs, you know. Yeah. And these older men are just, you know, sort of governed by their own hormones and their own emotions. And, you know, and in real life, one of the actors is guilty of domestic violence, yeah. you know. And you're like, what a chaos! And it's, well, you know, that's that's almost yeah, harder than Soviet troops, you know. Up. I mean, in the '50s, it was father mm -hmm. who knew best. That's right. But yeah. now it's the little kid. And in the in yeah, the days that's when. Extraordinary flip that we it have is, to yeah. understand An that they have right. completely yeah. uh, disarmed the patriarch. And what you see, it's deliberate. Isn't the one? What you see, I think, with some of these media images is it's almost like a false or substitute fatherhood, because you know, back in the day, whatever was out there in public that was shameful or scandalous. The example of a boy's own father would be enough to offset that. Yeah. But in the face of um, absentee fatherhood, um, what you see is these young men are taking their cue from what they see in the media. And they say that with young men, that behavior has to be modeled. They need something they can watch. And in the absence of a strong, virtuous father in the home, they will turn to substitutes. Right. And this is what I think you see happening in the media. I mean, men are portrayed as buffoons in the media. That you know, is the behavior yeah, which is Janet Smith, supported. in that wonderful tape she did mm -hmm. uh, on contraception, uh, recounts what it was like growing up mm -hmm. in that period before mm -hmm. before the flood, mm -hmm. uh, the pre-60s yeah. uh, period. And, and, and she said, the men, the fathers, mm -hmm. were conspicuous mm -hmm. by their presence and their strength and their right. virtue. And, and the sort of advertising and junk TV, mm -hmm. the porn mm -hmm. that is constantly paraded, if any of that mm -hmm. had, had appeared then, mm -hmm. they would have taken the television set mm -hmm. and simply yes. smashed it yeah. against <laughs> the wall. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. they're, watching they're watching those it, programs. Yeah. And we're not saying they were perfect back then. No, no. no. 
all. No. There were excesses and there were all sorts of but problems. But Tom Brokaw but spoke the of the greatest broke. generation, right. you know, and yeah. these men who came back from the sacrifices of war, right. and most of them got married, many got educated, mm -hmm. and you see them now in their 70s and 80s, and they're dignified gentlemen. They are. Yeah. And they're a scarce commodity. I mean, there aren't... There aren't people filling in the ranks, you know, following close behind. And yeah. I think that's the challenge, not only for adolescents and for college-age men, but for us as well, mm -hmm. to exemplify those virtues. Well, when we come back, we're going to continue this with manly virtues and sexuality, how they all flow together and flow within the church's wisdom. Stay with us. I remember walking across the country one summer, um, doing pro-life work, and reflecting on manhood, the difference between the manhood of the world and the manhood of, of Jesus Christ. And I remember thinking how the manhood of the world takes and steals from women. They use them and they spit them out. And, and here at Franciscan, they teach us that manhood is about serving, it's about honoring, and it's about lifting up our sisters. So oftentimes I think of St. Maximilian and Colby who's most famous for giving his life in exchange for another prisoner in a Nazi death camp. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is that he had been dying for years already from tuberculosis, which at the time was excruciating, had no cure. And he really illustrates for men what that looks like to give your life in exchange for another. I'm amazed at the caliber of students that are around me. These are, these are people that are striving to be saints. When you look around you, you see people who are full and people who are complete and people that are searching to grow in all areas of their life. This isn't something that you can find in most places. It truly has been a challenging academic experience that is preparing me very well for the medical field. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. at Franciscan University making the show surrounded by the students working the equipment and we're talking about men of Christian virtue or manly Christian virtue and uh, we have our special guest Father Dominic Foster Director of Evangelization and Dominic <coughs> okay we're gonna put it to you now mm -hmm. tell us about the environment and the programs that you're overseeing here at Franciscan University that teach mm -hmm men how to behave in a Christian way. Well, this is my second year here at the university and one of the things that we're going to be doing next year, I'm in a process of doing now, is getting together a men's ministry specifically um, geared toward its full-time work, working with men, teaching men um, what masculine virtue is. And they'll be doing a lot of things, for example, they'll be working with households. Um, I will get a group of men together and they'll all have their little stump speech, they'll all have their, um, their, the teaching that they'll be doing, they'll be working with the households, um, we'll be doing healing retreats for men, um, talking about like the ravages of pornography and things like that. These are issues in our culture, they need to be addressed, and uh, Franciscan University being a Catholic university needs to make it its business to address these things. Now, talk, you mentioned households, but mm -hmm. there may be some viewers who sure. haven't heard the prior explanations of that. Well, at Franciscan University, um, you may have had something to do with this, Father Mike, but um, years ago when you first came as president, you saw the, the, the loneliness and the individualism that was here 
um, in our student body, and, and the answer to that was covenant, was Christian community. And so we have groups of men and women that, that live together under a covenant, supporting one another, um, praying together, trying to um, get formation um, in Christian manhood and womanhood, trying to grow in holiness. specifically men's groups or women's groups. Or women's groups, groups. Each yeah. of them has a covenant. You know, my, has a covenant, two, yeah. two of my sons have gone through the university. Mm -hmm. One of them is now trying to form a household, and my daughter was also part of a household. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the, the idea of not going Greek mm -hmm. fraternities and sororities, but going Hebrew, yeah. covenant households, <laughs> that was a divine genius, you know, back in the 70s when you concocted this idea. And, and, and it causes mm -hmm. spiritual life to flourish in a way that allows a feminine genius to blossom right. for the women, but also something masculine to really blossom for the men to And grow. it's important, I think, to have that single-sex formation going on because precisely um, we are so wounded today as men and women and to be able to have this sort of uh, structure in place at the university, it yeah. gives us a very natural um, outlet to be able to deal specifically with these issues. You, you had uh, identified uh, mm -hmm. the ravages, uh, mm -hmm. I think you said, yeah. of pornography. Mm -hmm. And it does uh, occur to me that the source of that may mm -hmm. be a larger scourge, mm -hmm. that of loneliness, yes. anonymity. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're responsible for the virtue that God expects you mm -hmm. to cultivate, and you answer for your failures, but mm -hmm. you exercise virtue in, in a context mm -hmm. of otherness mm -hmm. with people. Uh, and if these are yes. people who support mm -hmm. you, encourage you, fortify the good choices you make, then you make grow up to become a saint. What you're saying, Regis, you know, specifically with the issue of pornography reminds me, you know, that, that pornography is both the source of loneliness, but the result of it is loneliness. Because um, it is yes. essentially a solitary yeah. act. It's an escape. It's an escape. Right. And but it, it's the flip side of a longing for love and communion right. yes. and intimacy. And so it's a lot like a glass that has oxygen. You can, you can get the glass to be deprived of oxygen mm. by suction, or you can right. just fill it with something else. I mean, men long to be filled with right. love, mm -hmm. and women do too. But in the proper time and in the proper right. way, this is why the households, you know, prayer, mm -hmm. they go to mass together, mm -hmm. they might pray the rosary, you know, but they also play sports, right. you know, and they do other things together mm -hmm. that really gives them that social context. So you're not just trying to fight pornography right. or fight mm -hmm. lust on your own in right. a vacuum. It's not you know? a negative sport, it's a positive. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's, right. it's doing things that yeah. really flow from who you are and mm -hmm. how grace works in you yeah. to right. push forward and out. But I mean this and, social network is, you know, mm -hmm. is something that is beautiful on campus, but it's rare right. outside of right. this campus. Right. I, I, for, I guess for a lot of people the decisive moment in the day is when they have to turn it off. Mm -hmm. uh, it, wasn't it St. Jose Maria Escriva mm -hmm. who said the most heroic act of the day is when you respond right. positively mm -hmm. to the alarm clock. That's you right. wake up. Heroic ah. moment. Mm -hmm. yes. That's the heroic moment. And, and wow. even a pagan, Marcus Aurelius, mm -hmm. tells us that when you have to wake up in the morning, mm -hmm. don't be reluctant, don't repine, mm -hmm. because you are about to begin the business mm -hmm. of being a human being. That's right. Wow. That's right. Yeah. I mean, dogs don't have that problem. Mm -hmm. For men, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, something else I want to bring up in connection with pornography and, mm -hmm. the, and the epidemic of internet pornography. Uh, there is 
another phenomenon too that often goes un unrecognized, undiagnosed. I first heard about it from a professor at Princeton Seminary, mm -hmm. Professor Chari. She was describing potterphobia, mm -hmm. that is, okay. is especially common among women, mm -hmm. but it's also common among men. Mm -hmm. That when you hear about fatherhood, mm -hmm. you have ugly images. Mm -hmm. You know, so what do you have instead? The images that the internet supplies. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you know, you, you need not just the, you know, the, the, the firm resolution mm -hmm. not to do it again. You really need a whole set of alternatives. You right. need alternative role models mm -hmm. that you can emulate. You also need alternative activities with mm -hmm. others. Yeah. You know, same sex like in a household, but also social settings where you're, mm -hmm. you know, guys and gals are coming together. And it has to be spiritual as well as just, mm -hmm. you know, recreational and that yeah. sort of thing. And, you know, the, the challenge to rebuild godly culture mm -hmm. for manly virtue, I mean, it is gargantuan, it is, but it is it absolutely is. vital. And so, theology of the body, we hear it all over campus and constantly, how does that fit in and give us direction here? I think what... That John Paul II is obviously right. the teacher. I think what it does is it calls us theology of the body. Um, to understand sexuality and the totality of what it means to be a human person. And, and this is really um, one of the things that is very consistent in John Paul's life. And in Love and Responsibility, one of the things he says is he says that the sexual value of the woman is not simply in her body. Yeah. And I think what has happened as a result of pornography and as a result of so much of, of the cultural influences is that we have seen sex um, radically distinct from other parts of human personhood. And I think what John Paul II is trying to teach us is that sexuality is part of personhood right. and it is not simply a matter of the body, but it's a matter of one's identity as man or woman, which is part of a whole complex of characteristics and traits that have to develop in tandem with one another. And precisely the problem of something like pornography is that it allows a male to experience sexual gratification while having no demands made upon him whatsoever. So it's irresponsible, it's irresponsible. to who they were. But you know, it, 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 set, it puts such a wonderful spin hmm. on, on the whole domain mm -hmm. of the sexual because right. it begins with the original unity of man, of and, man woman. and woman. It doesn't begin with a depraved mm -hmm. state, the yeah. corruption of the body, the fall right. from grace. And it's it's amazing to me because sort of the, the cultural stereotype is that the church is, obs is obsessed with sex. Yep. And I have to just marvel at that because, you know, you look at something like internet pornography, is it the church that's obsessed with sex, or is it the world that's the, obsessed yeah, with right. sex? It's a wash. And the world is upset at the church for not being that's upset. Right. And, and what John Paul II's theology of the body does is it counters that stereotype squarely and says, no, the Catholic Church thinks that sexuality is inherently good yeah. and a necessary part of human well, life. It, it remedies, I, I, I think, uh, what is becoming a pornographic mm -hmm. imagination yes. that's reductionistic. It mm -hmm. reduces everybody mm -hmm. to his or her parts. Yeah, there's yeah. A now a verb, to be pornographied. Yeah. No, Is that right? Yeah, wow. you, you really have your imagination shaped yeah. by the images of oh, pornography. Wow. Nobody has done a study, but I think one ought to be done, because in the late 60s, there was a best-selling book on body language. Mm -hmm. But when I read it, I was sort of struck by the superficiality of the analysis. You were looking at posture, you know, mm -hmm. your manners, and whether it was flirtation or a come on. Mm -hmm. You know, 10 years later in the late 70s, that's when John Paul wasn't doing body language, but the theology of the, the body, body yeah. to show that, you know, the, the body is a sacrament of the person. Mm -hmm. 
You know, and in theology, we make this important distinction between nature and person. Mm -hmm. You know, nature is what men and women share in common. Christ assumed a human nature. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's the source of natural law, and that's where the church got most of its teaching. But you also have persons as well as natures. In God, you've got three persons in one nature. In Jesus, you've got one person in two natures. I think this is the breakthrough, that when you look at the body, mm -hmm. you recognize something more than human nature in a generic sense. Mm -hmm. You see a living image of the person mm -hmm. as son or daughter, man, woman, husband, wife. Mm -hmm. And it's that language. It's much more than a come on or a flirtatious or a stay away. Yeah. You know, it's not just reading posture. Right. It's reading persons. persons. And that's yeah. such a breakthrough. And yet, as Weigel says, it's a theological time bomb. Right. You know, right. it's still ticking. It hasn't yeah. really fully exploded. And, and yet. you know, this is a market that we Catholics have cornered mm -hmm. because we believe in the resurrection yeah. of the body. You get this body back mm -hmm. and it'll be glorified, radiant with beauty. Yeah. So there must be something good about it, mm -hmm. even in this natural state. That's and it'll right. be gendered. You know, the Blessed Virgin's right. That's right. body was assumed into heaven, but it didn't suddenly just become generic. <laughs> yeah. She is now a mother in glory. Right. Yeah, and I think that is really. I'm hoping to all... go to that great restaurant yeah. in the yeah, sky where right. I can restaurant. eat that's the how food. About that. yeah. <laughs> well, how about the leadership then that the man has to be as a father mm -hmm. within the family? How crucial is that mm -hmm. so that the children follow? You know, I, I think that Father Dominic traced it all the way back to Abraham, and I think that's yeah. the example that gives us the, the, the easy answer, the, mm -hmm. the most important first step, and that is before you can be a father, you've got to be a son. Not only a son of your father who's apprenticed by a good role model, but a son of God the Father. And so whether you've had a good father or a bad father or you've had to look for alternative father figures, you have one perfect father. And through prayer yeah. and through study and through obedience, yeah. you can get to know that father and get close to mm -hmm. Jesus, who's the perfect image of the father. That sort of thing, you know, the spiritual life is mm -hmm. the wellspring yeah. for rehabilitating men. And this is the problem I think that a lot of men have is because essentially because of, of the lack of fatherhood, they've never had anyone show them how to do it. Right. They don't know what it means to be a man. And so um, not only is fatherhood irreplaceable, but I think one thing that is a source of enormous hope about the Christian tradition is precisely because we have the scriptures, we have the saints, we have teaching on sort of the objective meaning of manhood. And so even if a man has grown up fatherless, it isn't as if all hope of his masculinity being attained is lost. Because and, and, and the need for objective truth is so, is so important here. But and isn't this the particular challenge that you face uh, mm -hmm. as a priest? Uh, sure. You have uh, to do sort of double duty. And as someone working with men on a regular daily basis, what most boys would learn growing up with their fathers, you have to explicitly teach. I think it's normal psychological development for a boy to simply have manhood modeled for him by his father. Yeah. And in the absence of that, you have to take them as young adults and explicitly teach these behaviors. Right. And because they're looking for some, they're, they're yeah. confused, they're fearful, <clears throat> they're lost, they don't know how to do it. Holding them accountable, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. giving them a yeah. role model. But I know I have, a, I have a friend of mine who is a, a student and a really uh, upright man, mm -hmm. but he struggles with internet pornography. Mm -hmm. And when he came to me and confided that, I said, I'm going to hold you accountable. He said, that's what I'm hoping for. So every time I see, every day I see him, not every time, but I say, how's the struggle going? Yeah. And he said, thank you yeah. yesterday. Well, I, I grew up without a father because of divorce and great separation. But the brothers of the sacred heart, mm -hmm. I went to boarding school. <clears throat> 
And I immediately attached, and there was one brother, Brother Burton. Mm -hmm. He was the father figure, and he oh. told me how to live, and he modeled it, and he was there for me. Mm -hmm. And I just knew it. Mm -hmm. And it was such a wonderful gift of the Catholic Church mm -hmm. that these religious brothers mm -hmm. could step in and be the father that you didn't have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what, happens, what happens to young boys mm -hmm. uh, when there is no father and there's no surrogate or substitute? There's yeah. no Father Dominic or mm -hmm. Father Michael. Well, happily, there in. are some good coaches yeah, around. Coaching, to <laughs> me, coaches, is surrogate uh, fatherhood. And, you know, I, uh, Father Brian Kavanaugh brings this point out a lot, you know, that that a priest, a leader, mm -hmm. is really a coach, and a father right. is a coach. You've got to figure out, okay, where are they strong, where are they weak, encourage them, don't put them down too much, you know, this, bring out the best. And this coaching is critical, and, and in working with young men, you have to achieve a real balance, because on the one hand, um, they already feel bad about themselves, and so you can't put a lot of guilt and a lot of uh, reinforcing their failure and inadequacy. On the other hand, when you're dealing with men, you have to be very direct. Um, I remember when I was at St. Francis, a girl telling me one time about a conversation she had with her boyfriend, and her boyfriend told her, talk to me like I'm five because I don't get it when you're being subtle. Oh, and, I think, boy. and I think this yeah. is one of the ways that in some way we fail working with men is because we're afraid of the conflict, we're afraid of giving it to them in a direct way. Don't want to hurt their feelings. And, and yet what you find is they appreciate that. And I think it's so important to, to be willing to engage them at that level and just be very direct and say, this is right, this is wrong. Um, well, we're going to break here, and when we come back, we're going to give final takeaway thoughts that, you can, that can help you in pursuit of this manly Christian virtue. Stay with us. I'm in the Knights of the Holy Queen household here at Franciscan University, and as men living in community, we oftentimes get a very unique look into what it looks like to live not only as brothers but as men seeking after Catholic virtue and holiness together. We get a lot of members that have already graduated that come back to visit periodically and they also hold up for us the example of what that looks like to then take this faith, this life of virtue into the world and experience that hold up a light for others to see. You're watching Franciscan University Presents but you can experience a greater fullness of this message. Our conferences zero right in on strong catechetics that teach you to deepen your faith and to be equipped to go out into the marketplace and stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Franciscan University Summer Conferences, 800-437-8368, franciscanconferences.com. talking about men of Christian virtue. What is the virtue that we need to have to really be a Christian man? And what is the church teaching on it? Well, we've reviewed a lot of that, but now we're going to have some takeaway thoughts, final summation, and we start with Regis. Yeah, well, let me uh, start by <laughs> thanking you, Father, for coming on the show. That Good took to some courage, I, I think. I remember you as a boy, mm -hmm. uh, and now you're uh -huh. a man. So there's <laughs> been a certain moral progression, mm -hmm. and, and that's... Uh, uh, that's uh, that's good to see. Uh, I, I'm reminded of uh, of Chesterton's uh, uh, witty uh, dictum that the only sin is to call green grass gray. Mm. Uh, yeah. in, in other words, a lie. 
Uh, it's a deliberate stupidity. You suppress the truth. And that's what the culture has done about virtue, about men, about fatherhood. They've distorted uh, or, or defaced. They've denied the truth. And they've created these unreal structures that people more and more dwell in. What we need is to revive what people called the virtues of the human heart. And why does he call that only sin? Well, because it's a lie. You, you, okay. you set out deliberately uh, to deceive. I mean, yes. Bernard Lonergan speaks of it as a self-conscious stupidity. You know what's good, what's wrong, but instead you lie about it. And, and Lucifer is the father of lies. That's the original sin. And, and when we, we acquiesce in that deceit, that duplicity, we bring down the house of virtue. And, and what we're supposed to do is build it and live in it because it's the only humane place for man to be. Mm -hmm. Pieper, Joseph Pieper, in that wonderful little book he wrote, it's only 50 pages long, The Virtues of the Human Heart. I think it came right. out in 1941, and amazingly, it escaped Nazi censorship. I guess it was too right. slim for them to notice. But the very first sentence is, virtue is the utmost of what it means to be human, to be alive. And, and not to be virtuous is not to be alive. So there is a built-in attraction. I think, for men and women to try to be good. Okay, very good. Yeah. Scott, how yeah. would you summarize this? Chesterton is echoing St. <laughs> Paul in Romans 1.18 and following, where the wrath of God is revealed precisely because men suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. And when you suppress truth, you really alter reality. And that's what we're facing. And that's what we have to fight. That's the war that as men we have to engage in. Because with this being inverted, there is authority being subverted, but also sexuality being perverted. And this is no coincidence. I mean, this is a raging battle that ha happens within all of us and yet also around us. You know, the first thing I'm, I'm really drawn to, and that is to recommend that you find a mentor, especially if there are young men or parents of young men, you know, find a father figure and then also find other father figures, you know, and especially spiritual direction. You know, find a priest who can really help you. You know, you can confide in him. You could admit that the struggle is ongoing, that there is no quick fix, sure cure that will happen just today or tomorrow, but it's an ongoing battle with lust and with other habits and you need to be vulnerable to that kind of spiritual director. You need to find a man who can really emulate the kind of virtues that you need to grow in. And not just a spiritual director, but find teachers. Find people who are going to really sculpt your soul and make you eventually a sage. You know, Because so often our culture reduces men to just their, their raging lusts and hormones and that's what, but in fact, the ideal in ancient Israel and among the Catholic saints is to be a holy wise man to be a sage, a man of divine wisdom. And, and, and you can't do that in a self-made manner. You really need others and you need to be mentored. So, you know, find father figures, you know, spiritual direction is really important, but also teachers who are going to take you up to the lofty heights of the highest truths of our faith. You know, I think those are the kinds of things we ought to be praying for, and God is not going to say, no, I'm sorry, I don't want to give those to you. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Good yeah. summary of the models and what we need. Mm -hmm. Dominic, how would you end up things? I guess if there was a thought that I had to leave our audience with, um, I would say very simply, it's that men matter. And in the Roman Catholic Church, we have very rightly engaged um, 
the battle to defend the dignity of human life. And yet when you look at the sin of abortion, um, we do a lot of wonderful pro-life work, and we should do that work. And yet how much of that pro-life work would be unnecessary if we did a better job forming men of virtue? You know, are we, are we using all of our resources to deal with the problem after it's already caused sin and pain and harm? And, and because I think of certain ideological tendencies within the church in recent decades, there has been a real reluctance to engage the issue of masculinity, um, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, because of a perception of, you know, um, masculine power being evil because the church is patriarchal, so we don't want to invest too much in masculinity. And yet humanity as a whole suffers when we do not have men of virtue. And, and men's ministry has got to start becoming a non-optional part of Catholic life in the United States of America because men really matter. We are seeing all around us the price that is being paid because we do not have men of virtue. And if the Catholic Church would, would invest the resources in forming men that it would in other types of work, so much of, of, of these other types of work would be rendered simply unnecessary. And so men's ministry, men matter. And men's ministry needs to be a non-optional part of Catholic life. We have the wisdom to do it. Let's start uh, putting the resources into it so we can raise up men of virtue so that a more human manner of life can be fostered in earthly society as the Second Vatican Council teaches us. Well, I thank God for you and your leadership here on campus to really build this kind of manly Christian virtue. And I thank Scott and Regis for what they do in exemplifying and teaching about this. This is so important mm -hmm. <clears throat> for our students to see the models and hear the teaching, mm -hmm. put it together, and have the support group mm -hmm. that works together to live it out. And it's one of the great blessings of the households, the men's household, that mm -hmm. they challenge and bring one another mm -hmm. along on the road mm -hmm. <clears throat> that leads to this kind of virtue. We have here for you, for a handout, uh, an excerpt from The Virtuous Living. Virtuous life is worth living. Real Men Choose Virtue by Tim Gray, an alumnus of the university. And we will give this to you just for the asking. Uh, just contact us. <clears throat> but I want to encourage you uh, to follow what's best for your family, particularly for young men in your family, to get them the right education, the right models, the right places in the church. Um, yes, I want them to come here because I believe in what we're doing here in <clears throat> men's groups and teachings and, and men like Father Dominic giving them that direction. But we need to see that at every age as they grow up. Who are the models? Who can you point out to them? Who can you attach them to? How can you get them in the groups that are really going to build up that virtuous living? So <clears throat> I hope you'll follow that direction. I hope you'll come to our conferences or come to our, as a student here or a graduate student or continuing education, whatever, because we want to promote that. But most of all, we want it in your life where you are. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you, show his face to you and have mercy on you, turn his countenance to you and give you his peace. May the Lord bless you, he who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
To receive a free handout on today's topic or to purchase a video of this show, call 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357. Email your request to presents at franciscan.edu or write to Franciscan University Presents, Franciscan University of Steubenville, 1235 University Boulevard, Steubenville, Ohio, 43952.